Welcome to the Wild Generation Podcast with your host, Tyler Prince. Tonight, we'll be discussing the NCAA. Yes, that's right, the draft. It's April 30th, people. Thursday, April 30th. It is the draft. So, I figured in, you know, in spirit of the draft, we would do a whole topic on student-athletes and the NCAA, and we would just kind of point out how fucked up it all is. Does that sound good? Good. Great. That's the best part of not having a sidekick is that if it's not a good idea, no one can tell me it's not, so that's cool. Anyways, so the question we're going to start off with is should student athletes be paid or compensated for in a, in a way other than educational benefits? And this is an interesting topic, in my opinion. And the reason for it is because we have a large group of people who believe that student athletes are already being compensated for by receiving a free you can't see my air quotes, but they're totally fucking there. Education. And in return, all they have to do is sacrifice their bodily health, brain, overall brain function, and pretty much everything except for school. So just to kind of give you guys some background on what the NCAA is, how it got started, hoopla, blah, 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 blah. It was founded in 1906 and its creator or the actual person who actually had the original idea was, believe it or not, Theodore Roosevelt. And him and a team of 13 individuals from different universities were presented with a task to try and unify a safety agreement for amateur football players. Now, the reason that Roosevelt felt that this was important is because he actually really enjoyed the sport of football. And he wanted to make sure that it was more safe so that the athletes could continue playing the sport without it pretty much being terminated due to an increased amount of bodily harm due to the lack of padding, due to the lack of safety regulations and such. And so therefore, he decided he wanted to put together this pretty much this group of safety officials that would, you know, create the foundation of what would eventually become the NCAA. Of course, to be fair, Theodore Roosevelt was completely unaware that this would turn into the NCAA. His whole goal was to create safety regulations that would go from institution to institution to protect the amateur players. And the key word I'm saying right now is amateur players. And that's going to come into come into play later on because amateur players and what we call student athletes are very different things. So in 1909, Professor Judson P. Welch of Penn State University actually supported this group. And he compared it to professional summer ball leagues, which it was in reference to baseball leagues at the time. And pretty much in these amateur leagues, the, the players would play in a summer league and they would be compensated for it, you know, pay and such. And Mr. Welch, he's quoted saying, I believe that the man who needs money to go through college should be allowed to play summer ball in just the same manner as he would do anything else for a living. Now let's, once again, let's be very clear on our dictation here. First off, we're saying that these are amateur athletes. And second off, a 
professor from Penn State even says that this is an amateur, you know, these are amateur athletes, and that he believes that they should be paid as if they were doing it for a living. And obviously this is in 1909. So this is a professor from Penn State in 1909. I understand things have changed a lot. My, the whole reason I'm bringing this up is to show you the roots, to show you where the idea of this all came from and how it did not come from the ideology that we now uh, associate with the NCAA. In a recent poll done by the Huffington Post, 30% of Americans favored the idea of paying student athletes. All 44% were against the idea and 26% weren't sure. Now, this tells me a couple different things. One, 30% of the people who took this poll understand how much money athletes are making for the universities and for the NCAA. The 44% against student athletes making additional revenue from you know, any cut that the NCAA and or their university makes are, in my opinion, the group that are like, well, I didn't get compensated when I went to college and, you know, everything worked out for me. Therefore, everything else should work out that way for, for these student athletes. Here's the difference. Unless you actually were a high performing D1 athlete that ended up going pro, you have no right to tell these individuals that their talents and their skills should not be paid for with hard cash, not with a piece of paper that the university gives out when in reality, if we, if we really want to break it down, the stigma is that most football players or D1 athletes don't necessarily go to class, correct? If that's the case, that, and that's the stigma, then how is it that so many people are still okay with these people not being these individuals, these athletes not being compensated when it's kind of a more or less a known thing that they're not really there focusing on school all the time quite as much as they're focusing on their sport. And obviously this is really going to depend on what sport you're a part of and what institution you go to. For example, if you go to UNC and you're a basketball player, the likelihood of you putting in the same course load as someone who's just going to school based off purely off of academics is slim and the reason i say that is because just just based off of one simple fact you spend all of your time dedicating yourself to the sport that you play for the school and most colleges recommend that you spend at least one hour per night studying minimum minimum most of these gentlemen have maybe two hours to themselves maybe a day so if if minimum is one hour a night studying you have two hours a day throughout a week two times seven is 14 that's 14 hours technically the very bare minimum you need is seven hours correct but let's be serious how many people here who have gone to college has crammed more than seven hours of studying in, in a night i'm sure lots of us which is why it seems it seems ridiculous to me that you would call these people student athletes give them a diploma when it's a pretty known thing that these individuals are going there to play a sport. In order to make more sense of this, we can look at some pretty, pretty revealing data. And that data is how much money the NCAA, NCAA makes. Just for example, between 2011 and 2012, the NCAA, excuse me, made 705 million just off of one rights agreement. And that was the rights agreement they made with CBS Sports. 
So they made a revenue of 705 million between 11 and 12. And that's 80% of the entire, the entirety of NCAA revenue. So let's think about that. The, the entirety of NCAA revenue does not come from the university's stadium. It does not come from the grade point average of these athletes. It comes directly from the athletes. People are going to the stadium to watch the athletes. That's why some of them go pro and do that for a living because that's how entertaining it is to watch these athletes. So as an institution, a nonprofit institution, might I add, you're going to tell me that you do not want to compensate people because you're a nonprofit because these people are student athletes. When you made close to 800 million off of one TV deal alone in one year. So back to that 44%. If you were part of that original 44%, I have a feeling that some of you right now are thinking, mm, I didn't know that. I wasn't aware of how much money the NCAA made. And I'm not attacking the institutions. I'm not attacking the D1 programs. I'm just pointing out the, the NCAA. Because in reality, if we want to all think about it, what does the NCAA really do? What is their real purpose? I understand their purpose is to create rules and regulations. Their purpose is to, you know, increase the safety for, once again, these student athletes. But here's the thing. If that's their only purpose, then why are they making 705 million TV deals selling the likeness of all the players that are, you know, playing for these teams and legally doing so? These players can't even sell their own autograph, their own signature that they wrote down a piece of paper. To me, that is unbelievable. Your signature, your writing, your hand, your, your photo, your whatever, you cannot sell that to a fan if you so please. Meanwhile, the NCAA is selling your is selling all those players' likenesses to major video game companies like EA Sports. So how is it legal and how is it right that the NCAA is allowed to sell your likeness, sell your pretty much your identity, and you, the person who they're taking the likeness from, can't even do anything at all with that? That is probably the most ridiculous thing I've almost ever heard. The idea that your your own signature isn't yours until you are done with college because the NCAA says so is ridiculous. And the problem is, is it's not like you can go against the NCAA. These players are terrified to do anything against the NCAA because this is their careers for some of them. Their, their goal, their whole dream is to become a professional athlete. And the NCAA just says, all right, well, we're going to push you around as much as possible because we've created a system that's literally perfect. And the law agrees with them in most situations. And this is all based off of a term known as the student athlete. Now, interesting thing about student athletes if you were not previously aware, it's a made-up term. Completely made up in the 1960s. Completely. I mean, excuse me, the 1950s. Here's a quote from the former NCAA president, Walter Bears, who created this, this whole term. We crafted the term student-athlete, and soon it was embedded in all the NCAA rules and interpretations. 
as I said previously, the term came into effect in the 1950s when there was a widow of a football player named Ray Dennison who had died from a head injury while he was playing football at Colorado. His widow filed for workman's compensation death benefits. His football scholarship did not cover fatal collision. Now, if he were recognized as an employee, this would be covered under workman's comp and they would, and she would receive death benefits in order to assist her with the tragic loss of her spouse. This posed an interesting question for both universities and for the NCAA. How are they going to fight workman's comp when, you know, when student athletes, or at this time, just athletes were injured playing a sport sponsored by the school to avoid workman's comp what they actually did is they created the term student athlete the reason that they did this was was to compensate for the enormous amount of injuries reported from specifically football and other you know physical sports because of these consequences for the university and for the, NCAA, and for the NCAA, the Colorado Supreme Court ultimately agreed with the school's contention that he was not eligible for benefits. And this was because the college was not in the football business. Now, at one point that may have been true. They actually may not have been in the football business, but as we know now, it is most certainly the case that they are in the football business. We are talking about coaches, staff, training staff, scouts, all under university payroll, being paid to find, scout, and get the best players around the country to come play football for their institution. If that's not being in the football business, I don't know what else is because that's literally exactly the same thing NFL teams do to find players that are the best out of college. It is the same process, and they are the football business. So what does that make? The university, if they're not in the football business, what are they in? Are they in it for the individual? Are they in it for you know, the education for the individual? Well, if that's the case, then why don't the deans go and approach these young men and women about their scholarship potential for athletics? Why is it that to the coaches, the scouts, the trainers, why are those the people that are taking them out to lunch while they're a high school student and showing them how awesome their university is in comparison to others? If it were the president, the dean, if it were even a professor, it'd be a little, it'd be a little more supportive of an argument. But since it is literally just the coaches, it literally is just the trainers that are sending out letters, that are scouting, that are watching tape, that are visiting these uh, these individuals. Since that is the case, I think it's very valid, and if not completely completely true that th they are in the football business and if you don't believe me you can just look at their stadiums if you're not in the football business you're not going to build a 40 to 50 million dollar stadium it's just not going to happen because if it's not a you know if you're not in the football business then why would you invest that much money every every business needs an investment so by investing millions of dollars in a stadium by investing millions of dollars in the merchandise they are self they, they, they are admitting to themselves that they are in the football business. And therefore, I don't understand how workman comp is not covered for these student athletes if they are, in fact, making money off of, off of these individuals. Now, a counter argument to that is, do we compensate all D1 athletic, athletic uh, scholarships? Do we, do we compensate them all with 
money outside of their scholarship? Do we only provide the money and no scholarship? That's an interesting point. It's an interesting question. It's not necessarily something that I can that I can answer for you. That's not my job. But what I can tell you is that yes, if you're a D1 athlete, you should be compensated in some way other than academic benefit. And the way that if, if I had the option to break this down would be the NCAA tournament, for example, on March Madness. They make you know roughly $600 million off of that tournament each year, the NCAA. I believe that the players should be compensated for those who participate in the tournament, whether they are starting, not starting on the bench, you know, water boy, it doesn't matter. I think they should be compensated. Now, if we're going to be talking about D1 volleyball, women's volleyball, well, should they be compensated the same? No, they shouldn't. Because just like in the professional environment, which is what this, in my opinion, this environment is, it's just an amateur environment, still professional though. Volleyball players don't get paid as much as football players. And therefore, they should be compensated as such. So therefore, if a basketball player in college is making more money than a volleyball player, well, guess what? A volleyball player makes less money as a professional than a basketball player does on average. And it's the same thing if you're going to school to be a lawyer or if you're going to school to be an English teacher. You know by going to that institution and getting your English degree, your, your, you know, a teaching degree, you're going to make less money than that guy who's going to be a lawyer or a doctor or any of those other things. You don't, you shouldn't be compensated more because you chose a different career path or because your skill set is in a different medium. No, if they're making money off of the NCAA March Madness tournament, those players deserve to be comp compensated. If they're making money off of advertisements during Saturday night football for college sports, they should be compensated. If they're making any money off of the volleyball tournament I spoke of before, they should be compensated. Now, am I saying that they deserve 50% of the profits? No, but do they deserve compensation? Yes. And if you take, you know, a small percentage of the pot, it's still millions of dollars. And that millions of dollars can easily be spread across multiple colleges to multiple D1 associated athletic groups. It's interesting too, because the NCAA pretty much gets around all the laws about workers' compensation and the laws for any kind of workforce by using something called amateurism. And this was introduced in 2007 as an actual term before it was almost specifically referred to as student athlete. And that was the idea that you're a student first and athlete second. So the definition of amateurism is a person who takes part in a sport or other activity for enjoyment, not as a job. And then the second one is a person who is not skilled. So here's my issue with, with calling these individuals amateurs. First of all, while the person may enjoy the sport or activity, they did not attend the university and then start playing football. Now, if that is the case, that is a different situation. But if you were being recruited for football and being accepted for your academic, for, you know, not the highest standard of academics, then by definition, you are no longer an amateur because you're not doing it someone who is, you're not doing it for enjoyment and not doing it for anything but the fact that you need to go get your education. And I would categorize that as a job or as training. So compensating someone for that training is important. Another, another thing that's very interesting to me is a person who is not skilled. Now, if the NCAA and 
college institutions believe that these people are not skilled and they are in fact amateurs, then why does the school spend millions of dollars staffing football teams, basketball teams with the proper people to find the best athletes, the, the highest skilled athletes at the high school level? Right there, you're contradicting yourself. By saying that they're a person who is who is not skilled and by saying that they're a person who's doing it for enjoyment, you're saying that they went to your institution, they saw that you had a basketball program, they were interested, and they decided to play for the basketball team. But they're not very good at basketball and therefore it's just a club basketball team for any regular college. Now club sports, I would easily categorize under that. But... The moment you start recruiting, the moment you start paying people to find people, the moment you start recognizing that this player is more skilled than that player, you immediately move out of the amateurism and move into professionalism. And so what my real point is <clears throat> on amateurism is that imposing amateurism on someone by contract is immoral and not amateurism. They should be able to choose to play the sport in order for it to be considered amateurism. If they have any fear of losing any educational benefit or losing loans from the state or federal government based upon either their quality of play or based upon restrictions set upon them by the NCAA. By putting them into this contract and by, in reality, putting up an all or nothing bet on their athletic ability, when you're telling someone, hey, play football for us, but if you're not very good at football, we're allowed to take your scholarship away. Well, how is that not being a professional? If you're being compensated in a way for your talents or abilities, and at any point you can be terminated for the lack of abilities and or talents that you may possess. If you're able to do that to someone, they're just like any other employee. So to impose amateurism and then bind them by contract as well as by performance you're not even defining amateurism anymore amateurism is supposed to be played for fun and it's not supposed to be based on performance therefore it's not amateurism and therefore it's professionalism because if you're a professional you're a judge based on performance and if you're an amateur you're expected to be a lower performer and if that truly was the expectation and that truly was the case they would not take away people's financial aid they will not take away scholarships based upon that performance. So just by that one fact alone, we've completely uppered the entire foundation of why the NCAA is able to perform the activities they're able to perform. So whether it's the NCAA selling your likeness, whether it's the NCAA making almost a billion dollars a year off of your athletic accomplishments, whether it's the fact that they're able to set regulations and restrictions based upon past incidences without any need to consult or, or even attempt to contact any kind of governing body, seeing as how they are the governing body, and with no checks and balances in place, it really makes no sense on why the system even exists the way it does. And it's funny to me that so many smart people can look at the NCAA and see it on their basketball when they're bouncing in the driveway and not have a second thought. And when in reality, they're completely robbing our generation of their athletic accomplishments.
all for money in reality. And anyone who has an argument that it's not for money is just lying. Because if you could give me another benefit other than money, I would completely change my argument. And that's what I'm going to challenge you folks to do at home. I want you to send me any kind of opinions you have on the subject, you know, for my argument, against my argument, anything. Send them in at the whygenerationpodcast.com. You can go to the bottom of any page, send it in right that way. You could also contact me on my Facebook, facebook.com slash tprince003587. Or leave a comment on soundcloud.com slash tprince. No matter how you decide to contact me, all I want is some contact and all I want is your opinions. So don't be afraid to submit them, even if you hate me. I don't give a shit. Alrighty, we'll review our initial question, which was, should student, should student athletes be compensated in ways other than educational benefits? Now, in my opinion, we have answered the question. I believe, yes, we should compensate those athletes. Now, about the system and exact methods for compensating, I couldn't tell you. It's simply here to talk to you guys about my opinions. But if you have a little more insight than I do and you know a little more about the subject and maybe you have a plan for compensation, feel free to send it in and I'll put it on the next episode, maybe even have you on the show. Anyways, it's been a great episode. I enjoyed talking about the NCAA student athletes. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to contact me at the whygenerationpodcast.com or through my Facebook, SoundCloud, Twitter, any method you can find to contact me, feel free. I'm always here. I'm always listening. I'd love to hear back from you guys. This has been a wonderful episode of the Why Generation with your host, Tyler Prince, reminding you all to ask why. <laughs>